sports auctions circa 2022 are not your mother's sports auctions or your father's sports auctions or even your older siblings sports auctions sports auctions circa 2022 are not the going once going twice sold paradigm sports auctions circa 2022 are a technological and logistical revelation easy bidding lots of helpful content and near immediate gratification Sports auctions circa 2022 are loaded, loaded, I tells you, with lots of lots. Cards and jerseys and cards and balls and cards and hats and cards and autographs and, you know, more cards. But most importantly, sports auctions circa 2022 are where you go to collect this. Welcome to Collect This, powered by CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. Here's your host, Alan Goldscher. Going once, going twice, sold to Tony Giese, uh, consignment director over at Heritage Auctions, and Ryan Friedman, the founder and editor and um, I'll just say godhead of Auction Report. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, we all are sports guys. We're all collectors. Uh, When we were little sports guys and little collectors, it's not like we were sitting in the house watching, uh, in Ryan, in my case, the Chicago Bears, and in Tony's case, the Green Bay Packers, thinking, hey, I want to get into the auction world, right? So, Tony, how did you go from collector slash sports fan to consignment director at arguably one of the biggest auction houses in the world? It's a great question. So I went, you know, as a, as a kid, we all started with baseball cards and then it got into memorabilia. Uh, Chris Nairn was a fellow consignment director at Heritage. Uh, we bought and sold Packer memorabilia for a few years. Oh, so you and Chris, Chris, who's also a good dude, a great, a uh, lot of great dudes at, at Heritage. Um, you and Chris knew each other before Heritage. Yes. Yeah. We went to college together. Okay. Both of us were wow. in communications and you know, when I got out of college, I thought I had to work, you know, I wanted radio or newspaper. I fell in love with newspaper mm-hmm. and I was working at smaller newspapers in, uh, in Wisconsin. And I worked in one in the upper peninsula of Michigan and I loved it. It was a tough field to be in. It's kind of a dying media. I hate to say it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Chris was, was basically writing for an auction house part-time they bring them in mm-hmm. and then they decided to expand out in las vegas and um i was 27 years old not married no kids and i'm like you know what let me try it if i don't like it i can always move back to wisconsin i broke my mom's heart <laughs> her youngest moving out to las vegas and that's where, yeah that's where i learned the industry when i first started i was overwhelmed i i thought to myself how am i going to learn all this material how am i going to learn prices and i studied a lot of catalogs that Mm -hmm. was one of the things that i did i sat with the authenticators long hours i used to write down prices and auction catalogs so it would kind of i would see it then i would be writing it and you know i i uh 15 years later here i am so, well, actually, 17 years later, here I am. We're so lucky to be doing this. Uh, we're, I mean, I, I just can't believe the, the material I get to see on a daily basis. And I, yeah. always, I always tell people that it's literally like a rotating museum is uh, what we do. 
Yeah, it, it is really exciting. And a uh, little bit later on, we are going to get into this learning curve business because uh, as a outside of auction observer uh, and, and as a guy who, you know, is relatively conversant in this uh, in this space, there's so much to learn about auctions on every level. We're going to get to that, though, after we talk to uh, Ryan, my homie, who uh, Ryan and I grew up uh, in the same area. We went to the same elementary school we went to the same high school but many many years apart because i'm way older than he is uh ryan your path to auction world you I, I your path is crazy right it's not just like you woke up one day and like oh i'm gonna start an auction newsletter that's that's gonna like end, end up having tens of thousands of subscribers talk to me about your weirdo auction path that brought you here uh, you know, similar to what Tony said, like, I mean, I think we all, no matter who you're talking to, is always going to say, I start off as like buying baseball cards as a kid. So I think it's like mm-hmm. every person's entry point into this hobby. It seems to be, you know, anyone's got a job right now in the industry. It's like, I, you know, I got into baseball cards as a little kid. And then for me, it kind of like, just kind of like progressed from there. Like, you know, one day in like, you know, like the mid nineties, uh, you know, I used to get the sports collectors digest, uh, you know, magazine, uh, each week. And it was like the Bible amongst anyone who collects anything. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, all of us would always look apart and look what's going on. And we'd start seeing like these little auction catalogs, um, that would be like inserted into it. And it kind of started to like speak my interest. Like this is, this is kind of cool. Cause there was always like new stuff. It was like new stuff, rare stuff, whether it was cards or memorabilia or whatnot. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, uh, of mm-hmm. course being from Chicago land area, I was always big into like Chicago bulls, Michael Jordan related stuff. And I uh, kind of, you know, these auction catalogs, uh, there's, there was a couple auction houses within our area here in the Chicago land area that, you know, kind of offered Michael Jordan related stuff. And that further piqued my interest of like, wow, this is kind of cool. And, and, uh, you know, by going to these different card shows in the area, then started traveling, uh, I just kind of met some of the guys at some of these auction houses and, and uh, you know, decided that uh, for me, um, I ended up getting into the auction business because of that. Just kind of like just hanging out with some of these guys that ran these smaller auction firms, uh, again, just like Tony did. And uh, I was at that point, too, about going to college. This is like high school. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I'm about to graduate, I get a, my first job offer out of high school to go work for an auction house. And, mm. you know, my family, you know, who everyone's gone to college and most of them were teachers are like, oh, you're going to school. Um, so, you know, uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, this is like, you know, this is mid nineties, the height of the bulls, height of Michael Jordan, like craziness amongst like buying and selling this type of stuff. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, like, what do I do? But I was like, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those things like it's important. I, you know, grew up, you know, education, very important. And uh, I decided to uh, attend the University of Kansas uh, only probably because Roy Williams recruited Michael Jordan. And I was a Michael Jordan nut. And he was. The th- I thought you were about to say Roy Williams recruited you. Yeah, I wish, I wish. <laughs> but uh, I, I decided to go out to good old Lawrence, Kansas and uh, attend uh-huh. college out there and still. I tried to, you know, I was buying and selling stuff even at while living in my dorm room. I don't think anyone on my floor understood what exactly I did, uh, <laughs> but it, it was fun because I seemed to be the only one that had a little extra cash on the side. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you seem to build friends very quickly in college if you do have a little bit of spare cash. Uh, to you're, if you're buying the pizza, you are right. the man. Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, eight pitchers of beer and uh, three pizzas cost you $16. So <laughs> there, it was, it was a, a good time back then, but uh, you know, over time, you know, I kind of uh, built up into, um, um, you know, my interest was still in, you know, buying and selling and, you know, getting into the auction business. And again, this company ended up, did offer me a job right out of high school, kept offering me a job over and over and over again. So I actually ended up leaving school wow. early uh, to take this job, uh, did that for a few years, ended up starting my own auction firm for a while. And I grew up on the internet side of stuff. So like actually back in high school, 
my senior year, you know, this thing called the internet 1994 was, you know, mm. coming out. So um, I kind of always had that in the back of my mind of like, this is something cool I want to get into after working in the mid nineties on some of the, you know, with this auction house and this internet thing, how could we incorporate it? And I believe in that company started my own thing and mm-hmm. uh, you know, did that for about five, six years and then decided one day, Hey, I kind of just want to get more into information, you know, want to promote the auction houses. It's always just intrigued me about having a web-based company uh, that could reach more and more people around the world. And obviously, as again, Tony mentioned, newspapers, print media was really fading fast. And, uh, you know, I saw the Internet uh, as a great medium to communicate amongst collectors for the auction company. So in 2005, uh, I went full time into doing auction report. And 17 years later, here I am. Forgetting the sports for a minute, just talking about the industry that you are in—that's a, a you know non-standard industry—and you had a non-standard path to get there. The commonality is the love of the game, right? So I have found as a musician that when I'm making music or when I'm writing, uh, when I'm making music or writing with the mindset of I am going to profit from this, it is nowhere near as good as when I make something from my heart. Right. And it sounds like both of you guys rolled into this industry because you were passionate about it. Um, But the industry that you rolled into now is not the same industry that you rolled into 17 years ago, coincidentally enough. Uh, So, Tony, how would you tell someone who is a collector and a regular auction user? What if they wanted to do what you do? How do you do that these days? You know, I've, I've had so many people come up to me at shows or, you know, when I'm traveling, picking up consignments, I would love to do what you do. And I, mm-hmm. I wish I would have found out, I wish I would have done it earlier in life. I remember mm. going to the 99, not to go off on tangents, but I remember going to the 99 or 98 national in Chicago and I was mm-hmm. in college and I never thought about that as a, as a job, as a career path. I never thought of it. Um, what I would well, why would you? I mean, there's no, there's no template for it. Exactly, exactly. And I, I just never, I, I, I could have brought resumes, I could have handed them out, I could have networked, but I never <laughs> thought of that as, a, as, as an opportunity. What I would tell somebody, first of all, if, if you can write, that is a huge, mm. huge way in the door. There's so many people that say, hey, I want to get in this. And my first question to them is, can you write? Because like at Heritage, you know, a lot of people might start in the operations and then move on to maybe writing and then become a consignment director. So if you can write, that is a great selling point. That's a great way for you to get your foot in the door. And I think it's not a matter of like being able to put a sentence together. It's also a matter of it, you got to learn, right? You got to look at you what all the learn, auction yeah. houses are writing. Yeah, you got to look at, uh, and not just heritage, because uh, each each auction house has different voices, uh, and writing in a different voice, huge. Uh, and also, it's not just like if if you can write an essay or if you can write a book, that doesn't mean you can write auction copy, right? Exactly. So you got to practice that. It's like a whole different language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's it's you know looking at autographs, you know. I mean, what is it grade? What do you rate it? Mm-hmm. There, there, there's a lot of variables. I mean, and then, you know, when you get into game worn jerseys, it gets really technical with replace numbers and, you know, 
there's there's a lot of terms to learn but the way i did yep. it was i i really read a lot of auction auction copy and catalogs and worksheets that the authenticators did just to kind of educate myself that's something now and now with the internet being so big you know auction catalogs are kind of archaic there you you can find a lot of information a lot easier now so mm-hmm. you know the, i think it, it's it's easier for somebody to educate themselves rather than when i was starting off you know you you have all these catalogs you'd carry you know around with you and you know i think it's a lot easier today to look up prices to see trends i just think it's you know it's a lot easier now than it was when i was starting Speaking as a, just a professional guy in the space, um, relationships are hugely important. So if I'm giving advice to anybody who's trying to get a gig in the space, go to the card shows, reach out to people via email, be super professional, be super polite, um, stay in touch. You're probably not going to have strike pay dirt early on in your communications with people because there are, and, and you know, we are very, and I, I think that anybody that's in this industry uh, realizes how lucky there are, they are because there's so few spots in, in this world. Ryan, you just uh, look like you wanted to add to that. Well, I was going to say there's a big difference between like seven, you know, when Tony and I started, you know, and you wanted to get into this, you had to know the product, right? You had to know cards, memorabilia, Yeah. whereas, you know, and then like, you'd go work for that company and that company would then have you, Hey, I need you to also write. I also need you to help with photography or shipping and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But the one nice thing about our industry today and people looking to get into our industry, you know, whether it's with an auction, you know, with an auction house in particular, is that there are a lot more, there's a huge need. First off, there's a massive need for talent. And not just, uh, mm-hmm. th- it's not about talent that has to know cards and memorabilia. Tony kind of mentioned, like, they need people that know how to program. They need IT people. They need, yeah. uh, you know, besides yeah. content and writers, they need, you know, clientele management people. Uh, they need social media people. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. And it's not just anymore that you have to have the background of knowing sports cards and, and sports memorabilia, which you can't go to college and learn. You, you know, that's, yeah. that's something you naturally kind of pick up, you know, being submersed within going to shows and, and being with this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but there is so much more, uh, you know, need for all these different areas within the industry that aren't directly, you know, like I said, you don't have to know sports cards and memorabilia. You can almost pick that up secondary once you get your foot in the door, you know, with one of these companies. And, and as you said, it's not just about, you know, go to the car shows is great, but literally look up, you know, you can go on auction report, go through all the list of the companies that we cover, for example, and start emailing them like, Hey, this is what I do. You know, is there anything that, you know, you guys are looking to hire people? And now some of these companies have just grown so huge. I mean, they have employment websites. Like you can go on jobs needed and you can actually see what's there and see if, you know, your credentials fit, you know, fit the need. And any contact you make, just make sure you're professional, knowledgeable, because uh, like Charles Barkley once said in infamous deodorant ad, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Tony, um, forgetting the internal uh, aspects of of the uh, auction world, let's talk about the external. Let's talk about the consumer facing side of things. Um, what is a auction client, both as a consigner and as a, as a bidder, uh, looking at now versus what they would have been looking at seventeen years ago? Well, I think just with technology, 
you know, when I when when Ryan and I were buying, when I first started buying, you'd have to make a phone call. It was harder. You didn't really bid online quite as much. You would make a call. You'd mm-hmm. call the auction house, and they'd tell you what the bid is, and then you'd want to, you know, if you wanted to raise your bid, you could do that. Whereas now, I think it's just so easy with bidding online. It's it's just it, it's much much easier, and it's much easier, I think, for people to educate themselves in the industry that's you know, huge. there's so much huge. more information out yeah there's so much more information than there ever has been before back in the in the 90s there weren't bat records available to really check that you know that that john tobby has so people then it was hard to date a bat it was hard to know if it was and john john tobby yeah for those of you who are not hip to john tobby he is uh the arguably the world's most uh knowledgeable bat collector so what a wellspring of knowledge that guy has he's you cannot be john tobby it just it's not going to happen but as tony said there's so many great resources out there where you can like get on the road to being John Tobby. Yeah, you made a really good point though about you know fostering relationships, and that's so much of this industry is that mm-hmm. going to shows, meeting people, and if you think you know you're going to go to a show, and we have this happen sometimes where you know we will go to a show for the first time, you're not going to hit a home run. It takes years to develop relationships. Yep, hundred percent. For people to see you over and over again, and um, the, you know, it's not something that it's not going to happen right away. It's just not. It's something. It takes time. You, you you're right. You got to meet people. You got to talk to people, and that's how you get these relationships. Um. So Ryan, you're coming at this from a, a different perspective than Tony. Tony's working at one of the biggies. You, if Tony's the major label guy, you're the indie label guy, right? You're the indie label guy putting out. You know, you're the sub pop of of uh, of au- the auction world. So from the indie perspective, what are you seeing differently that that Tony didn't mention? I don't know. I kind of like to view myself maybe as I'm like the uh, Academy Awards like show itself oh right? <laughs> you know my, I, well that that begs the question would you rather be sub pop or the oscars uh you know i just want to you know everyone to be happy and successful at what, they do. That's, <laughs> that's, what I want. that's so that is so ryan friedman right, right I mean, there just wanting everybody to be happy know, in full disclosure you're both my clients so it's i can't be uh, you know, <laughs> saying that, that one's better than the other but uh you know I, I, on, on tony's point i think from you know what i see obviously with covering all the different auction houses What's really changed is this everything's faster. Uh, everything's faster. Everything's, you know, the speed in which you can, you know, produce and manage and, and do the auctions has changed drastically. I mean, as, you know, with technology that exists in the internet, you know, back, you know, as you, know, you said 17 years ago or whatever, you know, you, 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 if a company did three auctions a year, that was a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, four yeah. was like insane. You know, it was, it it was three auctions and you were like the big guy in the industry. I mean, now it's 24, seven, 365 and, you know, like heritage besides their, you know, they got their weekly auctions. They do their, you know, you know, premium auctions their you know, their, uh, I forget what it's called. Their, uh, uh, fully authentic. Yeah. Platinum night auctions. I mean, just the, the, the total amount of auctions that, you know, these companies are doing, um, it's grown like massively and the other big difference too is authentication is now such is is, is just as important i mean obviously you know you have the big guys in the company you're with csg as well i mean that that is really for both consigners and the auction houses really changed things because 
the knowledge mm-hmm. is there. There's a, there's a, you know, 17 years ago, it still was the wild, wild west of authentication. I mean, there were mm-hmm. some companies back then, there were some respected individuals that did authentication, but there was really no, you know, in the 1990s, I mean, there was PSA, but there wasn't like no one, you know, was there, was, there wasn't <laughs> anything out there at the end of the day. I mean, there were graded cards, but it wasn't like anything like it is now. So that's greatly changed the, you know, way that both consigners and bidders can interact you know, the, the sense of authentication has really been established. And, uh, you know, the other big difference, Tony actually mentioned this is Tony's a road warrior, right? He gets out on the road. He goes yeah. to these shows that like 17 years ago, that was like the only way to get into this hobby and get really involved and get to know people is you had to go to card shows. You had to get out there. You had to, you know, mm-hmm. be willing to do that stuff. Now, obviously you can sit at your home be on your internet and participate and, and see all this information. And so, you know, you, the, the road warriors is like to say, you know, uh, for a while it was kind of like less and less people were doing that. Uh, yeah. but actually it's, it's making a, a much bigger comeback to actually get out and do these shows. Obviously with COVID, you know, things were shut down, but, uh, those would be like the three biggest differences, you know, 17 years ago versus today for consigners and buyers. Yeah, Tony is still a road warrior. I, I can speak from personal experience. I think if you email Tony, you're going to have about a 60% chance of getting an auto response saying, I'm in Dallas this week. I'm in Philadelphia this week. And it's like, you know, on one hand, I'm jealous. And on one hand, I'm like, dude, I feel for you. <laughs> I feel for my wife because I'm, I'm, I'm on an awful lot. But uh, no, right. I mean, you know, a lot of people they'll send their items but a lot of times some of especially some of the higher higher value stuff they want that you know person to person interaction and yeah uh, yep, yep, yep. You know, a lot of people are scared to put in a six-figure piece in the mail we do it so much that we're kind of you know immune to it we're we're so used to it but you know yeah. there are people that they just don't feel comfortable sending so we always we always give that option yeah, there are people that will fly to Sarasota to drop off a, a valuable card at CSG. And when I first heard about that, I was like, that's a little odd. But then if you are in a position where you own a six-figure card, probably like a $700 flight is not really a big... And it's, it, you know, you're going to pay that much anyhow to have the thing insured to the hilt by FedEx, right? Yep. And the thing is, yep. peace of mind. I think knowing totally. that it's not getting damaged and shipping or you know god forbid if something happened where it got lost at least there's peace of mind knowing that you're delivering it to them and everybody's insured then so i I think that's a big part of it and and yeah i mean now there's a lot more pieces that are six-figure pieces that weren't years ago so as it becomes more and stream you are and that way if you get screwed up if you screwed up in transit it's your fault you can't yell at somebody (laughs) else (laughs) exactly Tony, I'm going to throw this one to you. Um, Recent trends. We're recording this in August of 2022. So uh, we're hoping it's evergreen content. Uh, So there's a possibility that when you're listening to this in August 2023, and hopefully you are, uh, all of this will be moot. But Tony, right now, right this very minute, vintage versus modern. What's hot and happening? I think vintage is the safest bet there is because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a baseball player can go. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. is is the perfect Oops. example. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Whereas you know, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Dodomaggio, Babe Ruth, those guys have forged their legacy. And you know, some of the newer guys, 
they have opportunities to stumble, which is unfortunate, but you know, it is the uh, truth. Whereas the other, you know, the vintage always sells well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we used to say, are, are people going to care about Mickey Mantle in 20 years? They do. My Lord. Yes, care, they do. You know, some of those guys always move the radar. And yeah. I, I, I think that's why I think vintage is a safer bet. And also a lot of it is much more limited. You know, guys today, they can sign autographs. They can, so they, they can alter their market so much. Mm -hmm. Some guys mm -hmm. like Tom Brady do it the right way and don't put out too much, but some guys will sign everything and then that'll drive down yeah. the price of their autograph. So I, I like the vintage in that aspect. Now I understand people who prospect because if you hit on a Mike Trout, you're literally paying pennies on a dollar for some of that stuff. If you hit on mm -hmm. the right guy, but there's so mm -hmm. many guys that unfortunately fall by the wayside. So it's really tricky. If there's a guy that you know is can't miss and you can buy him cheap. Great. But I, I think vintage is is probably the best investment. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, to to your point, um, about two years ago at at the pandemic uh, hockey stick, the pandemic hobby hockey stick, uh, Zion Williamson crazy hot, Patrick Mahomes crazy hot. People yep. were paying five, six, and uh, at times seven figures for these guys. Who knows what happens? What's going to happen with Zion Williamson? The poor guy can't stay on the court. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Excellent quarterback, but it seems like it's possible, just possible, that the league might have figured him out a little bit. And I think people that were looking, uh, investing in him, thinking, oh, my God, I've got the next Brady, right? I've got this. Mm -hmm. I've got a pile of Mahomes cards. I'm going to be able to sell these when he retires with six rings on his way to the Hall of Fame, and I'm going to, like, 20x this. I don't know if that's going to happen. The The league is catching up to him, and other teams are getting better. Ryan, question for you. Um, to, to, to what Tony was saying, not only is vintage seemingly the safer bet, but goats are seemingly the safest bet. What are you, are you seeing uh, that kind of being a thing? I think it's always been a thing. I mean, you ask anybody in any industry, it's you buy the, you buy the best. It continues to be the best, uh, you know, usually mm -hmm. um, I, you can't go, you know, it past history speaks for itself, right? I mean, you can look at the trajectory of the goats and collecting and mm -hmm. it's nothing but a, usually it's like that gradual hockey stick. And then it might have like those little jumps you know, when people more and more people kind of realize, oh, my God, it's a goat. I need to, like, start buying it. I mean, you can even look at, like, I mean, Jackie Robinson items recently. I mean, he's a goat and his stuff's always steadily gone up. And then and then it's like during the pandemic, it jumped even more. And now it's jumping even mm -hmm. more and it's jumping mm -hmm. even more. Michael Jordan, same thing. I mean, you can 2003, you could buy game use Michael Jordan jersey from the Chicago Bulls. It came with their letter. No questions about it. It was a twenty thousand mm -hmm. dollar jersey. Wow. Uh, you know, and then it jumped to 50, then it jumped to 75. And during the pandemic, it jumped to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's probably yeah. going to become a million dollar jersey, you know, million dollar jersey at some point. Mm -hmm. It's it's like the goats always have those strong, steady, you know, upward climbs. Whereas I always get afraid of that hockey stick, like the, you know, curve, because I think people, it's just impatience at the end of the day, right? I mean, anyone that's, yeah. anyone that's currently playing, you just don't know the end result, right? Especially in today's world with social media, social media, what they say on, it's not just what they do on the court. It's, it could also be what they do off the court that really affects mm -hmm. the value. So like with the newer stuff, I mean, it's almost like it's pure, you know, it's a lot of speculation, a lot of quick, you know, quick flips maybe uh, that people really enjoy. But I, you know, you know, that you, have, you just have to be careful because until they're done, you just never know. I mean, like you said, I mean, Tatis Jr., is he going to, you know, is it suspension? Is this a one-time thing? Is it, what happens if he gets suspended a second time for something? I mean, is that it? 
you know, at the end of the day, it's like they're not done until they're done. And goats have been done for, you know, for a long time. And uh, yeah, uh, I think you can't go wrong. I mean, the blue chip stocks are blue chip stocks for a reason. Uh, mm-hmm. Blue chip memorabilia and cards. It, there's a reason for that. That's good stuff, Ryan. Uh, Tony, I'm going to throw a name at you. Um, Bill Russell, who just passed away. Uh, like I said, we're recording this in August 2022. Uh, we just lost Bill Russell, who some people uh, put in the top five best all time NBA players. Some people have him at number one because of the rings, because of the consistency, da da da. A huge social figure, just a great dude. Like the guy whose jersey you would want on your wall, right? Um, not too long ago, he put some of his own stuff up for auction. Um, but have you seen since he passed away, and uh, uh, this is an interesting case study, he was in the news, right? He was in the news big time. Has you has there been more of a, a, a need or a want for his memorabilia and cards? Yeah, I'll say Russell. Uh, I think there's been a pretty good surge. Uh, for let's see, for the longest time, up until 1990, what 93, 94, his autograph was impossible. Nobody could get him. He wouldn't sign autographs. And then Rich Altman yeah. changed the whole industry forever on Bill Russell when he did have him do signings. So there's enough autograph material out there. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think there'll be a, a bit of an uptick in, in, in the prices, but I don't mm-hmm. know if it's going to be like, I mean, it's funny. I remember when, when um, Russell started signing, it uh you know his autograph was so expensive and wilt was a little more manageable now wilt's is more expensive and russell's is kind of a little less because yeah because he signed so much i will say mm-hmm. this if you have a full name autograph that's going to go up um you know he signed a lot of jerseys i still think that his vintage autograph should have should still have pretty good value because he just did not sign autographs during his playing days at all but um, I, there's enough of his autograph out there where I don't know if it's going to jump up a great, great deal. But the pieces that have, you know, Wilt and Russell or Jordan and Russell, that stuff probably might go up a bit. R.I.P. Russ. Um, Tony, from what you're seeing these days uh, on your uh, almost daily auctions, uh, what sport is is toasty? I know it's seasonal. I know it's August. I know that we're in the thick of baseball season. Football's just around the corner. Um, basketball's a little bit off of our radar. We're in the like brief lull where not much happens in the basketball world. You're uh, starting to see some of the other sports gain traction. Soccer, mm-hmm. golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think tennis is going to be one of the things that uh, is also going to see a, a, a nice movement up, especially with um, Serena retiring. That's going to bring a lot of right. eyes, a lot of attention. So people are starting to notice some of the other sports, you know, for, mm-hmm. you know, for the longest time, it was baseball, football, basketball and boxing, actually. Whereas now you're starting to see the tennis stuff. You're seeing the golf. There's been some great Tiger Woods ticket prices a lot of records broken yeah um, and you're but you're starting to see and and also soccer i mean if, if you look at it soccer is the world sport so there theoretically soccer stuff should be the top thing people collect mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. united states it's just not quite the case but now you're starting to see you're starting to see this stuff become more and more mainstream where it's mm-hmm. not just collectors now it's investors it's people that weren't really in the hobby before 
are getting introduced to it. So you're, you are starting to see some of the other sports make a big run up. I will also say basketball, they do a fantastic job of marketing to a worldwide audience. And I think basketball mm-hmm. is always popular, especially overseas. I think football will start, I think, you know, on some of the higher end football, the photo match pieces, that stuff, people are really starting to, um, are starting to really take into consideration when they're buying. So I think football is the thing that will start to move up as well. Uh, Ryan, uh, what kind of non-sports asset classes have been making noise lately? I know the Pokemons of the world and I know the video games of the world. Those are pretty, uh, pretty sought after. Is there something that jumps out at you other than Pokemon and video games? <laughs> uh, you pretty much cover the two that are, are pretty much uh, what, what are the, the main <laughs> focus of you know, the yeah. auction houses right now. It's pretty, pretty much it. it's video games. Uh, it's it's the Pokemon. Uh, actually, original artwork is is coming into um, coming up more and more. Uh, you know, and you also get and not, and not just just non sports memorabilia. I mean, let's, don't forget there are auction houses, uh, including Heritage, that you know it's the historic memorabilia, entertainment memorabilia as mm-hmm. well. That's very popular. Is you know very popular. Um, so it's not just sports related. Uh, it could be gaming, it, as you mentioned, the Pokemon and whatnot. But let's not forget that you know entertainment. Uh, history, presidential, people like presidential documents, uh, they're making the news all the time and and on, on such amazing pieces. Uh, Tony, we talked about how someone could get into the industry from the uh, working side. What if someone wants to get in the industry from the bidding side? How would you, because it's not as easy as you think, right? It's not just like you go over to Heritage Auctions, Heritage Auctions, it's easy for me to say, and you see a Mickey Mantle card and you put in $4 and you wait around. That's it. There's, there's an art and a science to bidding. Uh, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, there is. Uh, I know it's, it's an emotional decision because I know when I'm bidding in an auction, I hate to get that to get that outbid notice. Um, but as far as like registering for an auction, it's pretty easy. Basically go to ha.com or you can go to any of the websites and you can, you can um, register online. And then uh, most of them, you need two auction references. So mm-hmm. on that part, it's fairly easy, but yeah, on the bidding side, it's kind of a game. It's kind of, you know, there's, there's times guys will try to bid everybody out of the water where somebody will just jack it up to a specific price, trying to scare mm-hmm. off bidders. Um, the smart bidders, I mean, w- when I started, you would see more action during the middle portion where now everybody waits till the very, very, very end. And mm-hmm. a lot of times consigners are a little nervous leading up to, leading up to you know five days before the auction ending thinking this thing is not where it should be, but you know, things get bid up at the very, very end. The smart bidders wait till the end and start making their bids then. Because really all you're doing in most of the auction houses are extended bid. And what you have to do is you have to have a bid on the item. So people bid early and they bid late. Ryan, I think I think Ryan that it's uh important speaking as, you know, a periodic low end bidder, um, to have a number in mind, have your top number and stick with it because it's really easy to to just 
add another 10 bucks, add another 100 bucks, add another 500 bucks. It's just the click of a mouse. Um, how do you feel about coming to the coming to the game with a very solid, unshakable game plan? It's a good game plan. I think everyone needs to have like a budget. I also think you have to understand like what, you know, as, as the person bidding, are you bidding because you're a collector? Are you bidding, obviously, if you're a dealer? Um, mm-hmm. You know, are you bidding because you're an investor? So it'll change maybe how you go about bidding or how much you're willing to spend uh, based on that. Um, you know, having uh, Tony mentioned it, the auction business is, you know, again, I say this all the time, it's the second oldest, you know, business in the world, in history of the world. <laughs> um, there's a lot of theories as to, you know, what's the best strategy to go about bidding. And, you know, it's very emotional at the end of the day. It really is. You might not even realize it. But yeah, if you know, you come in with an item that you really, really want, no matter if you're a dealer looking to flip it or, you know, unless you're investing, because obviously you can't overpay uh, as an investor if you're just trying to flip something, you know, very right. quickly, you just get you crushed. But yeah, if you're, you know, if your budget's $500 and you're like, ah, what's one more bid? What's one more bid? Uh, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the auctions. That's the beauty of it. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why people get in the auction business because it's very emotional and, you know, it can bring those, those great prices. Um, you know, having a budget is a good deal. If you're, if you're a novice collector or beginner, try and stick to your budget, you know, and one thing you can do is you can place maximum bids. So like, you know, if the item starts off at a hundred dollars and you're like, Hey, listen, I'm willing to pay f- $1,000 for this item, if it actually gets up to that point, listen, you go in, you place your $100 bid, you put the maximum bid of $1,000 and close your browser and forget about it. And <laughs> you know, that's one way to do it. I know, I know plenty of people that do that, you know, that they're just like, hey, I don't care if it goes, for, if I get it for 200, awesome. If I get it for my $1,000 max, that's fine because I'm willing to pay within that range. And I can't be sitting in front of the computer during extended bidding because, you know, they know that their thousand dollar max budget could turn into three thousand and they're going to be in a lot yeah. of trouble afterwards. So, again, everyone has their own personal theory about what's good for them, um, you know, but as an overall general thing, if you're just a collector or, you know, just trying to get into it at the beginning, try and set your budget and uh, try and stay with it uh, if you can. You know, if you're going to again, start buying some of blue chip items, even at lesser prices, right? I mean, you could, mm-hmm. as everyone's going to know, I'm the Michael Jordan reference guy, but if you're buying, you know, there's pieces of Michael Jordan, you can buy, you know, pieces of car- you know, cards or memorabilia or autographs that are under a thousand dollars. And so yeah. it, even on that level, like, you know, you can be a little flexible. I mean, you're not going to always get killed if you go over your budget just a little bit, but try and stay within your budget. Tony, um, neither Ryan nor I uh, nor yourself are in the uh, rarefied air where we can just easily drop $4.2 million on a Tom Brady card. Okay. But you, yeah, don't we all? But you, on the other hand, have communicated with and uh, dealt with and enjoyed, I'm sure, many an interesting conversation with uh, people that can't afford that. What if you are that person? What if you're the person that does have a spare $400,000 to, <laughs> to buy a Justin Herbert card with? How, how do you go about that? What's your game plan? I think, I think Ryan made a pretty good point is, you know, go in with a specific number that you're willing to pay and mm-hmm. stick to that. Although that's a hard thing to do. There's so many times I'll, I'll be bidding on an item and I'm like, am I going to find this item again? That's the thing that always sticks with me is if you don't buy it now, are you going to see another one? And yeah. that's one of the things that I always ask myself and uh, talk myself in and talk myself out <laughs> so many times. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, a lot of these, you know, some of these guys, they want to own it. 
And it's almost like a status symbol to some of the really, you know, to some of these high-end bidders. I have it, nobody else does. That's kind of some of the mentality. But yeah, there are a lot of people now that are investing. And because of, you know, the CGCs, the PSAs, the Beckett's, they're because of the authentication now, it makes it more legitimate almost. It it it, yeah. it, it really truly does. Whereas before you know, you could buy a card and, well, I think it's a, I think it's gem mint and the X guys, no, it's VGEX. Whereas now because of the grading companies, it's made investors a little, you know, it, it's made it safer to be honest. With yeah. You. And Alan, you know, like, as you mentioned, like these high end bidders, when you're bidding on a truly one of a kind item, mm-hmm. there's plenty of room for some would call it overextending your budget. Because you don't have, like, there's not another one out there. So let's say you originally wanted to pay half a million dollars for this one-of-a-kind item, and you end up paying $600,000. you are the only one that owns it. So when you it comes time to sell, you get to decide what you're going to let it go at the next level. Whereas when you're bidding on something that might be 50 or or hundred, there's there's a lot more comps that kind of pressure you on how much yeah. you want to maybe overextend your budget. Return on investment. Um, Ryan, you deal with... Every auction house out there, uh, you've been uh, all through the nooks and crannies of the auction world. I'm sure you've heard some cray cray stories. Uh, give me some really interesting, weird, funny, oddball anecdote or anecdotes that stick in your craw from your um, almost two decades in the industry. I'll give you two quick stories. One is when I was actually working for another auction house back in the day, and we just had someone that was a bunch of guys that were actually bidding one night in our auction that may have had too much to drink. And just, <laughs> may have, may have, I don't know. Cause remember there was this, you know, this phone. So they'd call and the, and that was a cool part uh-huh. like, auction night. There, there's nothing like auction night back in the day. I mean, as Tony said, yeah. like you call these phone, we'd have 27 people in the room. Everyone's answering calls and you get to know these people on the phone. You're talking to them. And we had a few guys that again, we're having a good time. They're all out. They're all bidding on different things. And everyone's handling these different phone calls. And these guys just kept bidding and bidding and bidding on stuff. And, you know, we're just, you know, and you, you take their bids. You know, here's my bidder number. You're writing it down. They place the bids. And, you know, some of this stuff, you just like, at the end of the night, you're looking at what they were winning. They won pretty much everything they bid on. And, mm-hmm. you know, you look at the final prices on some of the stuff. And I was, you were just like, wow, they really, really wanted this stuff. Well, we come to find out the next morning that they were pretty well liquored up. And they were <laughs> literally, these three guys are literally bidding against themselves while they're all in the same room, all having oh a great my time. God. And just didn't even like kind of put two and two together at the end of the day. And <laughs> the nice part about it was is that all the guys, you know, when their invoices came, they were really cool. It wasn't, you know, they can afford it. They all paid their thing. They were happy. They had a good time. So it was just kind of one of those funny things because you're just looking at these items and you realize when you know we see the data after the fact, because again, you had to go through it manually and look at everything. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the three buddies that were all out partying literally bid against each other all night long while they're drinking. And Hilarious. Probably, you know, two, three X what they probably should have paid, but we're very happy. I love the next it. Day. That, that, that was, I love it. A good one. Um, the second story I'd say is actually just when I launched one of my first, when I was in the auction doing my own auctions, uh, I think I launched the, the first one in 1996, 97 on the internet. So we were like one of the first ones to do internet and phone auction. And mm-hmm. I called up a company called Beckett and said, Hey, I'd like to take a banner ad out on your website. And they're like, what? You know, because it was no one, no one really knew. Like, I mean, there were banner ads, and and I'm like, yeah. So we, I want to try this banner thing, and we 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 came to a deal to put it up there and to promote our auction, not knowing what kind of response we'd get, like how this would all work. So, like the first day, you know, we'd come in, and our auction system was 
so archaic compared to what it is today. It was all just manually really done. Like you'd register and I'd get an email and I'd have to give you your bidder number your and your password to log into our system. I'd have to manually create it. It's like the first day our banner runs, I get like three, four people that you know get these emails from. I create their username and I come up with a password for each of them. Well, by day four, I got like 400 people registered overnight and I couldn't think of all these individual passwords to create. So I, I was just like so tired after doing like 50 of them. And I was just like, I gave everyone the same password. You know, everyone had their own bidder number, but everyone had the same password. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's a little geekiness of being inside the auction industry. But compared to today, it's just one of those moments you'll never forget. Because I thought it was quite funny because I'm just like, oh, my God, what am I supposed to do with all these people that just registered? So those, those are kind of like my, my two quick funny stories for you. Good, good ones. Good ones. Tony, what do you got? As far as what, as far as, um, as stories, um, as far as, yeah. What kind of goofy stories top Ryan's? Oh my goodness. That's going to be tough. Um, mine are more <laughs> on kind of on, on, on consignment trips, uh, mm-hmm. what people unearth and that's, um, kind of almost more of mine, but I, I will say this, what I enjoy you know, Ryan made a good point about auction night. It was kind of an event it used to be where, you know, you put all this hard work in and then to see all the bids come in. So I like to watch the bids coming in on auction night to see what people are mm. going after, to see what really jumps up. So to me, that uh, that's one of the other things that I really in, in, enjoy about it. And yes, I, you know, there are times where people I'm sure are having a couple adult beverages and, and make bids and then, <laughs> then they forget about it until they get that invoice. But, um, you know, a lot of my stories would be more on just the rags to riches. I've had some of those where people have found items that were being thrown away and mm. they made six figures and it's actually changed their life. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that and there's so many times, you know, I've I've had one where uh somebody had a Babe Ruth ball and and this thing, I mean, it's you know, one of the auction, I mean, one of the authentication companies wouldn't pass it, and the other one did. So it was the first time in an auction setting. And to try to explain it to them was very difficult mm-hmm. because how do you explain that? they were inconclusive on it. And then the other one passed and now it's going to go for probably six figures. So anytime I think in our industry, you can help somebody help a family out, you know, when a, a relative passes, there's a lot of times where you can help somebody out. And to me, that brings as much joy as anything that. I love it. All right. Before I let you guys, uh, before I let you very handsome gentlemen go, um, I want some bold predictions. I want to know what you guys are uh, sensing that could happen, could happen, not will happen, but could happen in this world we call auction. Ryan, you first. I I would say that there's a good chance that you're going to see if there's going to be some new players that come into the auction business. I think you're Mm going to see some more niche related auction houses really specializing on a very specific area of collecting sports memorabilia or whatnot. So, you know, maybe player specific, uh, sports specific, uh, you know, and even is down to, uh, you know, era specific. Uh, I think you might see some of that just uh, to be somewhat competitive against the you know auction houses that cover everything. Um, yeah. That might happen. Um, I think you're also going to see just a massive change in um, the overall collecting and invest investing habits over the next five years. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the, the pandemic 
hockey stick incline, you know, uh, is going to be more carefully thought out moving forward when people are bidding to invest or bidding to speculate more. I think you're going to see mm-hmm. some more, uh, not as much, I think there's a lot more gambling that's been going on, you know, just really a lot more risk taking that, that took place. Yeah. I think you're going to see yeah. a lot more um, educated, more educated uh, um, bids and, and whatnot happening that'll actually be more healthy long-term for the hobby. So I expect to see, um, you know, some of the, like you said, I think a lot of the blue chip stuff um, is going to get more and more looked at, you know, uh, and you'll see the, the the growth in those areas of, you know, what's, what's always gone up in the past 20 years that may have been overlooked by mm-hmm. the modern stuff. I think you're going to see a resurgence of that growth, you know, g- getting bigger and bigger over the next five years. Tony, you get the final word. What what are you uh what are you gonna go out on a limb with? I, I think game use bats. Uh I think that market is gonna continue to go up because of the PSA bat population that being established now. I think you're gonna look for I I think game use bats are are going to go up in value. I think sneakers, you know, we just started a sneaker division at heritage and i think that's another thing that the newer generation is going to be collecting sneakers um bats um those are the those are the two things that i think you're going to see a big jump up in great stuff guys tony geesey from uh heritage auctions ryan friedman from auction report such fun such good information uh, a couple good laughs and uh, hey let's go have some adult beverages <laughs> always a pleasure thanks guys it was a great time as always whether it's a 1986 michael jordan fleer rookie card a tom brady playoff contenders rookie card from 2000 or i don't know a marv throneberry card that came out of a post cereal box in 1963 and yes that's a thing certified sports guarantee will grade your sports cards quickly and accurately a subsidiary of Certified Collectibles Group, CSG graded over 1 million cards in its first year plus on the sports collecting scene, the fastest any grading company has hit that mark. The speedy turnaround times provided by the knowledgeable, passionate team of expert sports card graders will make your CSG experience smooth, efficient, and most importantly, fair. Regardless of the athlete, the sport, or the condition of your card, CSG will treat it with the love and respect it deserves. For more information about CSG, visit csgcards.com. That's CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. We hope you enjoyed Collect This, powered by CSG. Collect This was hosted, written, produced, engineered, and scored by Alan Goldsher. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at collectthis at csgcards.com. 